Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Wrong Roads. You know, I've been studying Mormonism for the past four decades, ever since I was baptized in 1978. It will be 40 years come next June. And in those 40 years, I have studied the ins and outs of Mormonism in depth, backward and forward. And toward the conclusion of this 40 years, I am reluctantly coming to the conclusion that the dominant narrative of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not what it claims to be. In short, we have leaders of the church who claim the title of prophets, seers, and revelators, but I don't see a lot of prophesying happening. I don't see a lot of seeing going on, and I certainly don't hear about any revealing of things going on. Now, I want to add at this point that I am only talking about the place where I am at right now. I am not trying to coerce anybody else to come to this conclusion. I am not trying to persuade anybody else to come to this conclusion. I am not even trying to suggest that anybody else come to this conclusion. This is simply where I am at at this point in my life. This is a snapshot of where I am based on my current research, understanding, and based upon the witness of the Holy Ghost to my soul. It does not mean this is where I was yesterday, and it does not mean it is where I will be tomorrow. All my conclusions are purely provisional. They are tentative. They are subject to change, based upon new information. And I am constantly working to increase both the breadth and depth of my information, so that the conclusions I draw will have a better chance of being correct. But until that perfect day comes when all shall be revealed with crystal clarity, the best I can do is what Abraham Lincoln advised. I am not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live by the light that I have. And the light that I have, together with the reason God gave me, suggests that in a church that claims modern and ongoing revelation from God to its leaders, there is a paucity of evidence to persuade me this claim is correct. It is a claim easily made, but it is a claim harder to support. Not only is next year the 40th anniversary of my membership in the church, it is also the 100th anniversary of the last scrap of revelation that was canonized in our Doctrine and Covenants. That is section 138, technically perhaps not a revelation, but a vision received by Joseph F. Smith in 1918. Since then, there have been no canonized revelations. It has been 10 decades of darkness in the Mormon Church. And yet, when we go back to the origins of the LDS Church, the church that Joseph Smith founded, Joseph Smith also claimed to be a prophet, seer, and revelator, and also a translator. And whatever you think of Joseph Smith, at least he claimed to have revelations, at least he claimed to see things, at least he claimed to reveal things. And many of those examples are contained in the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. And so when we compare the current leaders of the church who claim to be prophets, seers, and revelators with Joseph Smith, the founder of the same church, who also claimed to be a prophet, seer, and revelator, we see there is a huge disparity 
between the two. As I say, regardless of what one thinks of Joseph Smith, at least he claimed to do all three things pertaining to those offices. That's why I call this a dilemma. It is a no-win situation for the current leadership of the church. It is the LDS version of the Kobayashi Maru scenario. And in the 40 years that I've been studying Mormonism, I have come across many unusual things pertaining to Mormonism, many unusual statements by church leaders, many unusual stories told by church leaders. But I must confess that the story I am about to play for you is quite possibly the most problematic story I have ever heard told by a general authority in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The story to which I refer is one that I heard only a couple of weeks ago for the first time. It is a story told by Elder Holland. It is a story called Wrong Roads, and it appears to be a story which he recounts in a seminary video directed at the young people of the church. I am going to play the audio from this video so that you can hear Elder Holland tell the story in his own words. I want to lead into it, though, by giving you a brief synopsis. Elder Holland tells how he and his son were driving home after a day in the desert and came to a fork in the road, and they didn't know which way to go. So they both prayed and were inspired to go to the right. But 400 to 600 yards down the road, God told them to take... It dead-ended. So they went back and took the other road. The moral of the story is that God told them to take the wrong road so they would know that the road God told them not to take was really the right road. I'm not making this up. You can listen to the audio yourself. I'm going to play the audio now. I have edited it. It was only about four minutes in its original version. A link will be provided in the show notes to the video, which is available on YouTube, so you can watch it for yourself. But there are a number of spaces in it where there's playing of instrumental music in order to make it long enough to be a video, I guess, for seminary. But I'm going to edit it down. I will not edit out one word from the story. Every word that you hear will be Elder Holland speaking. I will not delete any words that Elder Holland has to say because every word he has to say in this story is important for the analysis that I am going to provide immediately afterwards. So let's go to the story now. There are times when the only way to get from A to C is by way of B. Having grown up in southern Utah and enjoying all the wonders and beauties of southern Utah and northern Arizona, I wanted to introduce my son to that, and I wanted to show him places that I had seen and enjoyed when I was his age. So his mother packed a little lunch for us, and we took his grandfather's pickup truck and headed south onto what we call the old Arizona Strip. Noting that the sun was going down, we decided we'd better get back, but we came back to a particular fork in the road, really the only one that at that point was absolutely unrecognizable. I asked my son to pray about which road to take, and he felt strongly that we should go to the right, and I did as well, and we went to the right, and it was a dead end. We went four or five or six hundred yards, and it was an absolute dead end. Clearly, the wrong road. Turned around, came back out, took the other road, and clearly the road to the left was the correct road. But somewhere along the way, Matt said, Dad, why did we feel, after praying about it, that the right road was the proper one to take, the correct one to take, and, and it wasn't? And I said, I think that the Lord, His wish for us there... And his answer to our prayer was to get us on the right road as quickly as possible with some reassurance, with some understanding that we were on the right road and we didn't have to worry about it. And in this case, the easiest way to do that 
was to let us go 400 yards or 500 yards on the wrong road and very quickly know without a doubt that it was the wrong road and therefore with equal certainty with equal conviction that the other one was the right road i have absolute certain knowledge perfect knowledge that god loves us he is good he is our father and he expects us to pray and trust and be believing and not give up and not panic and not retreat and not jump ship when something doesn't seem to be going just right we stay in we keep working we keep believing keep trusting following that same path and we will live to fall in his arms and feel his embrace and hear him say i told you it'd be okay i told you it'd be all right as i said the moral of the story is that god told them to take the wrong road so they would know that the road god told them not to take was really the right road this is wrong on so many levels it is hard to believe a guy as bright as Elder Holland, who has read a few books and went to a pretty good school, and is certainly not a dodo, could come up with this. But as I listened to the story, I found that it impacted me deeply on a personal level, as I applied it to myself. Because you see, I am not 400 yards down the wrong road. I'm 40 years down the wrong road. So now I am finding out that the road God led me down was really the wrong road, and Elder Holland is okay with God doing this to me. Only I can't just back up 400 yards and take the right road. Instead, I have to back up 40 years to take the road God wanted me to take all along. After giving this story a lot of thought and reflection and discussing it with a number of friends, I have come to some conclusions about Elder Holland's story. Number one. This story, in all likelihood, really did happen. It fits what New Testament scholars call the criteria of embarrassment. Let me explain that for a second. New Testament scholars looking at the New Testament have a number of tools that they use in order to try and ascertain whether certain stories that are portrayed and recounted in the New Testament are early and possibly original stories, or whether they are more likely later embellishments, fabrications, or modifications. One thing they look at is whether the story is something that would be embarrassing to an early Christian writer. For instance, as Christianity developed, Christ came to be understood to be the Son of God. God was his father. That was a relatively early development. Joseph was not Jesus' father. He was his stepfather. But in some early New Testament gospel manuscripts, Joseph is referred to as Jesus' father. That's something that we would not expect a faithful Christian who believed in the divine sonship of Jesus to write down in a gospel. It seems to be from an earlier point of view. And therefore, because a faithful Christian would be embarrassed by writing down that Joseph was Jesus' father, it is more likely to be original. It is more likely to be authentic. It is less likely to be something that any Christian would make up and add to a gospel later on because they would be embarrassed to do so. That's why it's called the criteria of embarrassment. Applying that criteria to this story by Elder Holland, I am pretty confident there is no way Elder Holland would have made this story up. The only question I have is to why he would repeat it and why he would repeat it publicly and why he would use it as an example 
of revelation from God? Those are questions that Elder Holland is going to have to answer, I expect. Another point of interest is that we have a second witness to this story. Not only is it told by Elder Holland, but his son, Matthew Holland, who is the boy who is referred to in this story by Elder Holland, grew up and wrote an article about the story for The New Era. That's a church publication aimed at the young members of the church back in the July 2005 edition. The title of his story is called Wrong Roads and Revelation, and he recounts the story from his point of view. I'm going to leave out the introduction to the story and just get to the part that deals with the story as Elder Holland tells it. We will note that there are two, perhaps significant, differences in the way that Matthew Holland recalls the story from the way that his father, Elder Holland, recalls the story. I'll get to those differences when we come to them in Matthew Holland's account. We got back into Grandpa's old truck and started the trek home. It was dusk, and we had only gone a bumpy mile or two when we came to a fork in the road. We stopped. Dad was not certain which trail we had come in on. He knew he had to make the right decision. There wasn't much light left, light he desperately needed to ensure he would make the correct turns the rest of the way home. Wasting time on a wrong road now meant we would face the difficult task of making our way home in the dark. So first we see that in Matthew Holland's recounting of the story, he adds elements of drama here. There is a time limit. The sun is setting. They have to make the right decision, otherwise they could get lost. He continues, As we did whenever we had a family problem or concern, we prayed. After we both said, Amen, Dad turned and asked me what I thought we should do. I answered and said, All during the prayer, I just kept feeling, Go to the left. Dad responded, I had the exact same impression. Now that's the first difference between the two stories, because if you'll recall, in Elder Holland's story, the road that God told them to go down was on the right. In Matthew Holland's account, it's the road on the left. Going on, this was my first experience receiving and recognizing revelation. So Matthew Holland is just as sure as his dad was that the revelation to go down the wrong road is indeed revelation from God. He continues, We started down the dirt road to the left. We had traveled only about 10 minutes when our road came to a sudden dead end. Here's the second difference in the story. Elder Holland puts the distance at about 400, 500, maybe 600 yards at the most. In Elder Holland's story, this is a very short detour. In Matthew Holland's story, he does not put it in terms of distance. He puts it in terms of time. He says they traveled only about 10 minutes. Now, 10 minutes can cover a different amount of distance depending upon how fast you're going. But if we estimate that Elder Holland was traveling only at 30 miles an hour, and if he drove for 30 miles an hour for about 10 minutes, that comes to 5 miles down this dead-end dirt road that God told them to go down. 5 miles being substantially longer than just 400 yards. Here it is interesting to note that in Elder Holland's version, the shortness of the dead-end road is important to make his point. So he may be remembering it in such a way as to make it shorter than it actually was. At least it certainly appears to be shorter than the way that his son, Matthew Holland, remembers it. Going on. We had traveled only about 10 minutes when our road came to a sudden dead end. My father promptly whipped the truck around, roared back to that fork in the path, and started down the road to the right. Fortunately, there was still just enough light 
to help us navigate the web of dirt roads that would take us home. We were almost back to St. George, now on roads my father knew well. I was troubled. With my head resting on my dad's leg and my leg stretched across the seat, I asked, Dad, why did we both feel like Heavenly Father told us to go down the road to the left when it was the wrong road? My dad said, Maddie, I've been thinking and silently praying about the same thing all the way home because I really did feel a pretty distinct impression to take the road to the left. Matthew Holland adds, I was relieved that my first experience with Revelation had a second witness. It is interesting that Matthew Holland's first experience with Revelation is a revelation from God that is manifestly wrong. He goes on. His father, Elder Holland, continued, The Lord has taught us an important lesson today. Because we were prompted to take the road to the left, we quickly discovered which one was the right one. When we turned around and got on the right road, I was able to travel along its many unfamiliar twists and turnoffs, perfectly confident I was headed in the right direction. If we had started on the right road, we might have driven for 30 minutes or so, become uneasy with the unfamiliar surroundings, and been tempted to turn back. If we had done that, we would have discovered the dead end so late that it would have been too dark to find our way back in totally unfamiliar territory. So here, Matthew Holland amplifies on his father's response and his father's reasoning for why it is that God gave them the revelation to go down the wrong road. Details that we do not get in the account from Elder Holland's telling of the story in the seminary video. Going on with my analysis of the story by Elder Holland. Number two, if this were me, and if I were in Elder Holland's shoes, and if I had this experience, the first thing I would think is that there must be something wrong with the way I interpreted the event. Maybe my imagination was overactive. Maybe I just thought there was revelation from God when there really wasn't. But Elder Holland doesn't go there. In a situation where either Elder Holland is right or God is right, but they both can't be right, Elder Holland is the one who is going to be right. And that unfortunate bumping sound you just heard was Elder Holland throwing God under the bus. Point number three. This story completely undercuts anything and everything that Elder Holland testifies about. Even if we grant Elder Holland is right when he says he receives revelation on a subject. If God is already on record, as Elder Holland has him on record, as intentionally deceiving Elder Holland once, how can I have any confidence in whether God is not deceiving him again? Right after telling the story in the seminary video, Elder Holland testifies that God is our Father and that He loves His children. But wait a second. How can I know Elder Holland is right about this? Maybe God really isn't our Father. Or if He is, maybe God really hates His children. How can I know? Not from listening to what Elder Holland testifies. Why? Because Elder Holland has just gotten done teaching us that God gave him the wrong answer in the desert of southern Utah. If God gave Elder Holland a wrong revelation then, why couldn't God give Elder Holland a wrong revelation now? And why couldn't God give Elder Holland a wrong revelation about each and everything Elder Holland claims to have a revelation about? I mean, good grief, Radio Free Mormon just got done doing a whole podcast dealing with how the LDS Church, in its April 2017 General Conference, is full of stories that show the Church has no miracles or revelations 
to speak of, at least not in general conference. Now we have this story, where Elder Holland claims a revelation. Only the revelation is wrong. And that is the miracle. Now we have apostles and leaders of the church claiming that receiving wrong revelation, revelation that is demonstrably wrong, revelation that they admit is wrong, somehow now is correct revelation, is true revelation, and qualifies them to be apostles of Jesus Christ. We have now come to the point in LDS history where not only is there no revelation, revelation that turns out to be flat-ass wrong is true revelation. Worse than this, Elder Holland's story cripples the testimony that not only he bears about anything, but the story also cripples the testimony of any of his fellow apostles. If God will give Elder Holland a wrong revelation, God can do the exact same thing with any of the other current apostles, up to and including the apostles in the first presidency. But it is even worse than this, because not only is the testimony of the current apostles undermined by this story, so is the testimony of each and every apostle and or church leader going all the way back to Joseph Smith. How can I trust that anything they say is true? Even if I grant that God revealed it to them, God could always be having them on, the way he tricked Elder Holland. But it is even worse than this. Any and every revelation in the Bible or Book of Mormon or doctrine and freaking covenants is undermined by this story, and for the same reasons. If we believe Elder Holland's story, he has just undermined our ability to believe the standard works. But it is even worse than this. And here is where it gets personal. Because I believe that I received a witness that the Book of Mormon was true when I prayed my way through it at the age of 18. I believe God gave me that witness. It was because of that witness and other witnesses I received afterward that I also thought were from God. It was because of those witnesses that I became and remained a faithful member of the church. This is why I went on a mission. This is why I paid tithing. This is why I served in the church. This is why I was a temple-going Mormon. And now Elder Holland is telling me that this could all be a case of God just sending me down the wrong road so that when I got to the dead end, and realized the LDS Church is not everything it portrays itself as being, I would realize that with confidence, I should have taken a different road. Oh, wait a second. Let me back up 40 years and take the right road, Elder Holland. I am surprised that Elder Holland could not recognize the far-reaching ramifications of his story. I mean, once again, Elder Holland went to a pretty good school and has read a few books and is certainly no dodo. So how is it he could not see that taking his story seriously completely undermines the epistemology of the entire church he represents. Read the Book of Mormon and pray to know if it is true. And if you do it with real faith, God will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what the Book of Mormon says? Isn't that Moroni chapter 10 verses 3 through 5? Isn't that a message we've heard from all the leaders of the church? Isn't that a lesson we have heard from Elder Holland himself? Oh, oh, but there's something else you need to remember along with that promise. You need to remember, when God answers you and tells you the Book of Mormon is true, God could be kidding you about this. And he could tell you the Book of Mormon is true when it really isn't true. Why would God do such a thing? So that when you finally realize it is not true, you can have full confidence 
that you should never have believed it in the first place. See where this leads, Elder Holland? It leads nowhere good. In fact, it leads to a dead end. Now, as I say, I believe that the story actually took place. I believe that it is true in that sense. And if Elder Holland felt compelled to retell the story, as he obviously does, I am okay with that too. The problem I have is with the moral Elder Holland draws from the story. If Elder Holland had told the story and then said that he was fooled, into thinking that something that was not revelation really was revelation, and that we all need to be careful about not confusing our personal feelings with something that is actually coming from God, I would have been fine with that. It would have been a story worth telling, and a moral worth remembering. But that would require Elder Holland to admit that he was wrong. And that is apparently one road Elder Holland is not willing to go down. Elder Holland cannot be wrong because he's Elder Holland, and he's a special witness of Jesus Christ. And so because Elder Holland cannot be wrong, he makes God wrong in his story. The fundamental problem is that by refusing to undermine his own revelatory infallibility, Elder Holland undermines the revelatory basis of the entire restoration. Elder Holland didn't just throw God under the bus, he threw the entire LDS Church under the bus, together with all the revelatory aspects of LDS Church history. And for good measure, he threw in every revelatory aspect of the scriptures on which the LDS Church is based. Each and every one of the standard works decimated by one story. And why? For what purpose? Simply because Elder Holland is unable to admit that he just might have been wrong. Another aspect of the story that comes out as I think more and more about it is the weakness of the revelation that Elder Holland claims to have. Now, on the one hand, he will claim certainty. He will claim absolute, complete certainty beyond a shadow of a doubt. But when we look at the story, the story shows something completely different. The story shows the weakness of the revelations that Elder Holland claims to receive. What do I mean by this? First, this isn't something that Elder Holland just comes out and says. It's something that Elder Holland inadvertently reveals. And it is likely that by revealing this truth about himself, he is likewise revealing the same thing about his other brother apostles in the quorum. Here's what I mean. According to the way Elder Holland tells the story, God told him to go down the wrong road, so that when he got to the end, he would know that the other road was the road God really wanted him to go down. Why? Well, Elder Holland's answer to that is, because if God had just told him to go down the correct road in the first place, Elder Holland might have started having second thoughts as he drove down the correct road, thinking that maybe, just maybe, he should have taken the road God didn't tell him to go down. He might have turned back to try the road God didn't tell him to go down, and by the time he found out that road was a dead end, it might have been too dark to find his way back home. So what does this tell you about the strength of revelation Elder Holland receives? If Elder Holland admits, as he appears to, that a revelation from God to go down the correct road in the first place would not have made him sure that was the right way to go, and he might have gone back to double-check if he started having doubts, what are we to think about how sure Elder Holland is about the revelation he claims to receive on any given issue? I think it's fair to say that most Mormons think of their leaders as getting revelation in crystal clear, unmistakable terms. When they receive revelation, they don't just think they know what to do, they know what they are to do. Why do they know? 
because God told them. But not only that, God told them in a completely unmistakable fashion. That is why they know. But here, Elder Holland is confessing that if God gave him revelation to go down the correct road in the first place, he still might have had doubts as he drove along and might have gone back to check the other road just in case. From this, I take it that whatever the revelation Elder Holland received that day, it was not strong enough to not be subject to doubt if it started looking like it wouldn't pan out. This is a far cry from the concrete witness, testimony, and revelation most members expect from a special witness of Jesus Christ. Elder Holland says nothing to try to distinguish the strength of the revelation he received that day from the revelation he receives on anything else to which he bears witness. Elder Holland testifies that the Book of Mormon is true. Okay, but does that mean he is testifying to a feeling that is far from concrete and unmistakable? Sort of like the revelation he received when he got lost in the desert? Elder Holland testifies that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. All right, but is his testimony on that score as wobbly as the revelation he received in the desert? I am not sure what good Elder Holland hopes to accomplish by telling the story, but as you can see, it leads in many directions, and each of them is a dead end. But actually, on further reflection, I think I can hazard a pretty good idea as to why it is that Elder Holland does think this story is worth retelling. There is an issue that it addresses, and the issue that it addresses is, what are members to think when they feel they have received a revelation to do something, and they do it, and then it blows up in their face? Members are counseled to make all major life decisions on the basis of prayer and revelation. From what education to pursue, to what career path to follow, to where should I and my family move, to what spouse should I marry, Mormons are counseled by their leaders to make these decisions the subject of prayer, and they are assured that God will guide them in their choice, i.e., the member will receive revelation from God as to what to do, as to which path to take, as to which road to go down. So what happens when that spouse God told you to marry ends up being a horror story that destroys you and your family, breaking apart your home and leaving your kids to be shuttled back and forth between parents for visitation? Well, according to Elder Holland, that wasn't you making a mistake in interpreting a personal feeling for a revelation. No, that was actually God sending you down a road that leads to catastrophe and knowing that it would lead you to catastrophe but giving you the revelation to go down the wrong road so that when it blew up in your face and destroyed your home, you would realize that you should have gone down the other road instead. That God, what a trickster. When it comes to practical jokes, Loki of Asgard apparently has nothing on Jehovah of Israel. It is easy for Elder Holland to back up 400 yards. It is more difficult to back up to before you got married to the spouse God told you to marry, before you had all those kids together, and take the road God really wanted you to take. You know, that other road that God told you not to take in the first place. Now, the overt message that Elder Holland wants to give with this story is what he says after the music stops, the background music stops in the video, and you hear him just speaking without any accompaniment. This is what Elder Holland says, that God expects us to not give up and not panic, and not retreat, and not jump ship, when something doesn't seem to be going just right. We stay in 
We keep working, keep trusting, following that same path. That's an incredible lesson to draw from the story, because it's exactly the opposite of what Elder Holland did in the story. Going back to what Elder Holland says about the story, God expects us to not give up. Well, that's what Elder Holland did as soon as he saw it was a dead end. God expects us to not panic. That's what Elder Holland did as soon as he saw it was a dead end. He immediately backed up and went to the other road. God expects us to not retreat. That part goes without saying. Elder Holland beat a hasty retreat. And he expects us not to jump ship. I think that this last part is why the story was resurrected for a seminary video in the last several years. It is being used to try to teach the seminary youth not to jump ship. As Elder Holland continues, when something doesn't seem to be going just right, we stay in, we keep working, keep trusting, following that same path. Elder Holland is using the story in order to say, you need to stay in the church regardless of whether things seem to be not going right. Whether you have questions, whether you have doubts, whether you have concerns about church history or the church's position on social issues, you stay in the boat. You don't jump ship. That's the key phrase. And Elder Holland says you don't jump ship when something doesn't seem to be going just right. We stay in, we keep working, keep trusting, following that same path. This is all exactly the opposite of what the story Elder Holland tells illustrates. Elder Holland did not stay in. He did not keep working along the wrong road. He did not keep trusting in God that that was the correct road. He did not keep following that same path. He found out it was the wrong path. He backed up 400 yards and he took off down the road that God told him not to take. There are so many things wrong with this story, it is hard to keep track of them all. Now, let me tell you what I imagine. This is what I imagine happened, and this is the explanation for the story. I imagine a family out backpacking in the southern Utah desert. They become lost. They wander around for days, getting weaker and weaker. They are out of food and out of water. They want desperately for somebody to find them. Being good Mormons, the lost family get down on their knees and pray in turn that God will send somebody, anybody, to deliver them. At the same time, Elder Holland is trying to drive home with his son and gets lost. Elder Holland and his son pray. God tells them they need to drive down the road that dead ends 400 yards out. Why? Because the lost and dying family is located just 100 yards beyond the dead end. This is serious stuff. That's why God intervenes. God is not trying to get Elder Holland and his boy home. God is trying to save the lives of a family about to die in the desert who have prayed to God for help. So God tells Elder Holland and his son to go down the road that leads toward the lost family. If Elder Holland has enough faith to follow the revelation, he will go beyond the dead end of the dirt road. He will know this was the way he was supposed to go because God told him this was the way he was supposed to go. But does Elder Holland have faith in the revelation he has received? No. As soon as he sees it is a dead end, he hits reverse and starts backing out of there for all he is worth. This is really how much faith Elder Holland has in the revelation he has received from God. Elder Holland doesn't go past the dead end. Instead, he discards the revelation he received because he realizes this isn't the road he wants. He leaves so fast, he can't even hear the cries of the family in the distance, seeing their last hope 
fade in a cloud of dust. In conclusion, this story reminds me of a stanza from a poem I learned a long time ago. Actually, it was on my mission. Here is the last stanza. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. And the bones of that poor, unfortunate Mormon family lie bleaching in the sun to this very day. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.